Let me get the uh, California recall out of the way, and then we'll get to Millie. Millie's story is very interesting. Um, a lot of subtext to it. All right, so uh, Gavin Newsom uh, kept his job. Uh, final tally, 64% wanting to keep him, 36% wanting to boot him. Um, as far as exit polling, Democrats 43% voted, Republicans 26 Independents 31 So the independents kept Newsom. More exit polling from CNN. Uh, Is Newsom in touch with Californians? Yes, 54. No, 42. Uh, What about his uh, COVID policies? Uh, About right, 45 percent. Too strict, 32. Eh. Um, And on and on. Um, The bottom line here is that Newsom had $75 million. He linked up Larry Elder, who would have won uh, the governorship if Newsom was booted with Donald Trump. It was Trump, Trump, Trump. In California, they're still there, I guess. And here's what Newsom said. I I said this many, many times on the campaign trail. You know, we may have defeated Trump, but Trumpism is not dead in this country. The big lie, January 6th insurrection, all the voting suppression efforts that are happening all across this country, what's happening, the assault on fundamental rights, constitutionally protected rights of women and girls. Yeah, all right. You know, so California's gone. In our lifetimes, it's never going to come back. And the reason is it has the most poor people of any state, and they are dependent on uh, the government, state and federal, for money. And Democrats just keep up in that. So they're always going to vote for the Democrats. And then the elite in California, the really money, money people, Silicon Valley, Hollywood, all of that, far, far left people. And it's not going to, you know, the 36 percent of Republicans or whatever, you have no voice. It's just not coming back. And here's the interesting thing. New York and Illinois, the same category as California. So in any presidential race. Democrats start out with immediately 104 electoral votes out of the 270 needed. So they they start out with about 40 percent from three states that are never going to vote Republican again. That's interesting, isn't it? All right. Um, Is this a lifeline for Biden, uh, the recall going the Democrats way? No. Quinnipiac poll uh, just out. Do you approve of Joe Biden's job performance? Approve 42, disapprove 50. He's sinking, and I think he will continue to sink. Uh, let's go to General Milley. Uh, put his picture on up there, because, uh, you know, a lot of people don't even know who General Milley is. He's a top commander in the United States, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, 63 years old. He's got an impressive uh, educational resume, two master's degrees. Um, He was nominated for the job in 2018 by Donald Trump. Trump thought he was a good guy. (laughs) I don't think so anymore. Um, And then Milley, you know, has served his country honorably uh, all these years. But is he an honorable man? We'll find out. So Woodward and a guy named Costa write a book called Peril. And it's, just, it's what Woodward always does. And I analyze his last book. I'm not going to do what, say, I'm not even bothering with Peril. All right, because how this works is if you are a 
recognizable author, as I am, as Woodward is, you go to your publisher and you give them an outline of what you'd like to write next. And the publisher says yes or no and pays you millions of dollars if they like it. That's how it works. Now, in Woodward's case, he has to write a book about Trump being a danger to the country. That's what he's done for the past five years. Trump's bad. Okay? And he, I think he's got three bad Trump books. This is the third. He also includes Biden in his book to take a little bit of the edge off. So there are reports that the book has 200 anonymous sources. I don't know whether that's true or not, but I know 90% of the sources in the book are anonymous. You don't know who they are. And that's easy. You can make any kind of storyline based on anonymous sources. It's simple. So there are a couple of things here with Millie, all right? Apparently, he made some calls to China right after the January 6th attack on the Capitol. And in those calls, he told the Chinese, according to Woodward, that don't worry about any craziness from Trump. Yes, he is a loon. This is Millie's words. But I'm, I'm controlling the nuclear stuff and it's not going to be, nothing's going to happen. Is that true? I think the calls were made because Woodward and Costa would have to have a, um, not a transcript, but a record of those calls before they could do this. So they have a record. Somebody leaked them a record from within the Pentagon that Millie made calls, not only to China, but to other nations as well. But China's a big one. So the allegation is that Milley circumvented the Constitution and did a silent coup by telling foreign nations, I'm really in charge. Remember Alexander Haig did that off the cuff when Ronald Reagan uh, was in physical trouble after the assassination attempt? I'm in charge here. Remember that? But this is, this is much more calculated, if it's true. If it's true. So... The right wants to believe it's true. Conservatives want to believe it's true. And even some liberals are going, oh, Millie, you got to be court-martialed. you got to be tried for treason, whatever. That's always the way it goes in this country. We don't have any evidence of what was said in those phone calls, but we could get it, and easy. And I'll tell you that in a moment. So Woodward and Costa write the book, all anonymous sources. They got to have some sensational stuff where the book won't sell. Uh, the most sensational is that Milley thought Trump was dangerous and Trump might do something with the nuclear code. And Milley called China to say, don't worry about it. I'm in really in charge and nothing's going to happen. That's according to Woodward and Costa. Okay. So here's what we know for sure. Here's what we know for sure. Millie did make the call, but we don't know what was said. But the Senate Foreign Relations Committee could tomorrow issue a subpoena to find out the transcripts, to get the transcripts of the call, unless there are no transcripts, and that would be very, very unusual. All right? So that's what should happen tomorrow. All right? All the people on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee Get the subpoena. We want the transcript of the calls, any calls, 
maybe between, say, December 1st, 2020, and Inauguration Day that Milley made to China. We want them. Let's see them. Right? Because then you get, if you get the transcript, you know what the deuce happened. And you don't have to listen to endless speculation in the media. The second thing that I know is that Milley wanted to keep his job. Though he's a Trump appointee, right? And Biden was elected. And Biden's going to be sworn in. And Milley wants to keep his job. Hmm. So Milley could very well have made some calls. And, of course, he would tell the Biden people, hey, you know, look, I'm... I'm laying the groundwork for you to take over. Don't worry. Nothing's going to happen. Crazy. Even though we all know that Trump's a loon, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. That probably happened. Now, this is speculation on my part. It's speculation. But I would bet a million dollars that that's exactly what motivated General Milley. Keep his job. Okay. Now, we'll see if the Senate Foreign Relations Committee does its job, because, of course, the American people have to know what General Milley did. The rest of the dopey book doesn't matter. All right. Nothing in that book matters. (laughs) 200 anonymous sources. If, in fact, that's true, I didn't I'm not going to read the book. I I read the last one, Rage, and it was ridiculous. And I got to tell you, from a personal point of view, I was talking to President Trump around the time of the Capitol uh, thing. He was caught by surprise. He didn't know that was going to happen. And then afterward, he didn't know what to do. He didn't know what to do. And unfortunately, his advisors were not the best. But, you know, to say that he was in some kind of paranoid fog, that he would launch a war, that's insane. All right. And I know that because I have access to President Trump to this moment. I have access to him. And I would have known if there was some kind of if he was out of control. And I would have reported it if that were true. But it wasn't. He didn't know what to do. Everything is expensive these days. You know that the government is printing trillions of dollars in consumer prices higher than ever. If the government continues its printing and spending, the dollar could continue its freefall and lose its coveted role as the world reserve currency. Let's hope that doesn't happen. But there are a few things you can do right now. American Hartford Gold can show you how to protect your money, your retirement, your hard-earned savings against inflation by helping you diversify a portion of your portfolio into physical gold and silver. Start with a short phone call, and they can have physical gold and silver delivered right to your door or put inside your 401k or IRA. So please call or text them right now. Tell them Bill O'Reilly sent you. Call 877-444-GOLD, 877-444-GOLD, or text GOLD to 65532. Again, that's 877-444-GOLD or text GOLD to 65532. After that capital attack. 
So joining us now is Mike Gonzalez. He's a, a senior fellow at the Heritage Foundation. Um, and he has a new book out called BLM, The Making of a New Marxist Revolution. I have read about half the book, and there are very, there is very good information in that book. So, Mr. Gonzalez, uh, I read about half your book, and uh, it's accurate, and, and there's a, a portion of it or a page of it on me, and I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But what I'm taking away from Black Lives Matter, and we all know it's Marxist, there's no doubt about that. The women who run it admitted, as you say in your book, they're not trying to hide it. It's a communist organization. But the money that's going in there is astronomical. And the Tides Foundation is the key money player to providing Black Lives Matter with all this financial largesse. Tell me about the Tides Foundation. Well, yeah, the, the Tides Center has become the fiscal sponsor of Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation, the main uh, uh, BLM organization. As you know, it, it got its money, uh, it gets its money from Soros. It is a, a really a front for some of the worst leftist organizations around. It has been giving money, by the way, for a very long time. Uh, Black Lives Matter itself emerges when George Zimmerman is, is, is acquitted in 2013. But you see the involvement of the Tides Foundation with the, 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 the National Domestic Workers Alliance, which is where uh, Alicia Garza comes from, where she, where she really, it, it, that's a, another socialist front, by the way, the, the Domestic Workers Alliance. And you see all these Tides and Soros and, and, and uh, also uh, Thousand Currents, all these pass-through leftist okay. organizations Okay, I don't want to get too in the weeds money. for people who don't know the frame of reference. And I recommend that they all pick up your book, BLM, if you want to know more. But the Tides Foundation in 2018 raised $420 million. As you point out, George Soros's Open Society Foundation pumps right. millions of dollars into right, right. the Tides Foundation. Right. Right. So with that kind of money coming in every year, $420 million, you can pay for a lot of disruption. And, and let's not, yeah. Go ahead. Let's, let's not forget that the Tides Foundation is a 501c3 uh, and, and Black Lives Matter is a project of the Tides Foundation. So, so there is, it, it's completely murky. We do not know how Black Lives Matter spends its money uh, when it came out in the New York Post that Patrice Coulors had bought three houses. We have no idea how the money Right, there's no funneled. regulatory body looking at right. them, but they do no. look at the Tides Foundation. And the point right. of your book is that these people in Black Lives Matter can mobilize and, and have demonstrations and have pressure campaigns, and, and they have a lot of offshoot groups, but they can right. do it in a heartbeat because they are paying people, organizers all over the country, to have right. databases of people they can get out in the street. This, there's none of this is spontaneous. This is a no, well-organized, well-funded movement to turn the United States from a capitalist country to a communist country. Or am I wrong? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for putting it exactly right, Bill, if I may call you Bill. Sure. BLM, in its, in its 2020 Global Impact Report, boasts of the fact that it sent out 127 
million emails in the second half of 2020. That's an astonishing number of emails with an open rate of, get this, 63%. The, the average for, for nonprofits is 25%. And it says itself, it boasts again that out of these emails, uh, 1.2 million actions were taken that, that, that it knows about. So in other words, Black Lives Matter sits there at the middle of the chaos and disturbances as a city's burned organizing all of this. They themselves, uh, they themselves admit it. The press does not report it. Press and company excluded, obviously. Okay, so when you have a powerful entity like that working very, very quietly and covertly behind the scenes to disrupt American capitalism by using right. race primarily to do it. And then you have right. people with Black Lives Matter signs on their front lawns or uh, bumper stickers on the back of their cars who have no idea what no this clue. is. Right. You have one dangerous situation. Right. And the reason for that is because the media refuses to do it. And the political class uh, bill also has to come in for a great deal of criticism. Both parties uh, people say, well, it's just the Democrats. Uh, no, the Republican Party has shown a particularly lack of spine in doing this. They don't want to say anything because Black Lives Matter is a beautiful slogan. Hey, I subscribe to Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter to me as a concept. I, I don't say all lives matter. I say Black Lives Matter because of the historical reasons. But, but the organizations and their founders is something else entirely. And when you give money to Black Lives Matter, you don't give money to a concept, you give money to organizations, which as you rightly say, say themselves, they want to overthrow, quote unquote, the organizing principle of society. Right, That's the not capitalistic just system run by the white patriarchy. Right. Do you believe most African-Americans have any clue about this? What's really happening? I, no, they do not. And in fact, there are many, many ways the victims, if you look at the, the horrendous spike in the homicide rate, anywhere between 25 and 35%, as a result of the police pulling back and those the, the few criminals that are being arrested are not charged because of the rogue prosecutors. So we have thousands of lives that are being lost. As you know, Bill, African-Americans make up over 50% of the victims of homicides. So they, they are, they, they're overrepresented in the numbers of people who are getting killed. Uh, a, a, a society where the police is defunded, that has no prisons and it has no courts will be completely chaotic and awful for the poor. The rich are always going to be able to take care of themselves. Why doesn't Black Lives Matter care about that? Because as you put it, they are, they, they are Marxists. They're trained Marxists. And when, when Patrice Cooler says that, she means it. She was recruited by Eric Mann. That is his word, not me. Eric Mann, a former member of the Weather on the Ground, boasts in his book, Playbook for Progressives, the how he recruited Patrice Cullors when she was a young woman and trained her as a Marxist in his labor community, in community labor it's, it's strategy really center. It's really amazing. It really is amazing. All right. Now, in your book, you have a, uh, a page on the other organizations that tie into right. Black Lives Matter. One of them is a group called Color of Change, which was right. founded yeah. by... Uh, CNN's Van Jones, who at one time said he also was from Eric a communist. Also from Eric Mann. Also recruited and trained by Eric Mann. Okay. Um, but Jones is a visible face. People don't know Eric Mann. I don't think Jones is running Color of Change anymore. 
Now, Color of Change was one of the organizations that attacked me four and a half years ago. Totally bogus, made it up, but they mobilized fast with people harrying signs and all of that. And I, I said to myself, you know, this is a well-orchestrated hit campaign on me. And then I gave a lot of that information to the Washington Post reporter who wrote the story and the Washington Post editors killed the story, even though it was true, because it was generous toward me. Now, two questions. That plays right into your belief that the media whitewashes, won't report the truth about Black Lives Matter, Color of Change, and the other radical organizations. And the second question, most important question is, this Color of Change outfit, all right, how dangerous are they? To your first question, Amazon just informed us yesterday, this is fresh news, that they will not run our ads. They will not run our ads because this is controversial material. So we won't be able to discuss matters of public policy because all matters of public policy are controversial. Uh, if you, and if you do in a book, Amazon will not run it. Color but they're, they're still selling of, your book, though, right? They're still selling the book. And people who want to buy it go to Amazon. And the book is selling really, really well without the ads that Amazon refuses to run because Amazon is part of the whole yes, compendium. The, the cabal, uh, right. Uh, the cabal. Um, and, and look, Color of Change is is is, is a part a, a partner of the movement for Black Lives, which I talk about less, but it's also another suite of networks that is incredibly Marxist. That, by the way, they don't bother to clean their website. If you go to the website, they say they want to revolutionize society. So, Color of Change is a partner, one of the affiliate members of the movement for Black Lives, which is also really really important. Okay, final question for you. Um, many Americans, they, you know, they're not going to read your book. It's, it's, you know, they don't read any books. Um, and it's, it's hard to get their attention. If you had one message to the American people, traditional Americans who don't want their country overthrown by radical leftists, what can they do to stop BLM and others from succeeding? Become informed. An informed populace, an informed electorate is the best weapon we have against anything like this. Um, become vocal. Uh, test the limits of your, of, of, of your comfort zone. Uh, you know, don't get fired or anything, but be, speak out. If somebody wants to do, have a training program in your place of work, uh, you know, speak out against it. Speak out against uh, critical race theory indoctrination of your children. When people tell you they want to give money to Black Lives Matter in your name, uh, enlighten them as to what, what is taking place, what is happening, what is the real truth of this. I actually, Bill, I'm very optimistic. I see the American people. I traveled extensively. The American people... I do not agree with this. And in fact, the more this information no, gets don't. out, the Most less support don't. there is for BLM. The other optimistic thing is some of the sponsors who initially pumped money into Black Lives Matter have now pulled back, correct? Right. Right. Because because of people like me, you know, I wrote a, a, an opinion piece last July 2020 for The New York Post uh, on, on how the BLM had uh, something on its page about destroying the family, uh, you know, abolishing the family. Uh, it, within a month, a million people had read it. We have the numbers, and and they and they 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 they, they cleaned their website. They, yeah, they, they stopped they with the, the uh, we want like to abolish the traditional family business. Yeah. All right, Mike. The book is BLM: The Making of a New Marxist Revolution. You can get it on Amazon everywhere else. 
Um, it's a very um, important book in the sense that there's nobody really else doing this. And that's why we have Mike Gonzalez on tonight. Good luck, Mike. Thanks for helping Thank us out. See you. All right, back in Washington, D.C., the $3.5 trillion spending bill championed by uh, the president and Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. Not going to happen, thank God. And two Democratic senators are the reason it's not going to happen. They are Joe Manchin of West Virginia. We dealt with him yesterday and Kristen Sinema from Arizona. They're not going to vote for this enormous socialistic bill. And remember, just always keep in mind when you hear infrastructure, now it's human infrastructure. All right, it's human in infrastructure. So it's not just build, building roads and bridges. It's giving folks free stuff. No say, and it's way beyond a safety net. It's a safety net is necessary in this country. You have to have it. As people fall on hard times and they get wiped out financially and they, you know, bad things happen. You got to have in a humanistic country. You got to have a level of support for those who can't help themselves. But what we're in now, as everybody knows, is a socialist thing. And Biden, maybe he doesn't know. Maybe he's the only one who doesn't know. But anyway, what's likely to happen is that they're going to have uh, chats in the House and the Senate. They'll bring it down about 1.5. I think Cinema and Manchin could live with that. Um, and they'll cut out a lot of the human infrastructure stuff, you know, the freebies, the giveaways. That's probably what's likely to happen. But the corresponding tax rise is going to happen as well on corporations and people who are doing uh, well in America. And that tax rise in a delicate economy, which we're in, is going to hurt everybody. Everybody. I was reading an article today in the Wall Street Journal, which is a good the editorial page is a good barometer of economics. It says, look, corporations are just the vessel. They're not going to pay uh, extra taxes that cuts into their profit margin. They just pass it along to consumer, whatever it is they make, whatever it is you want. So they got to pay 5% more to the feds. They're going to raise the prices 5%. And consumers don't have to buy the stuff. But in our society, you know, people, they want things. So that's what happens. Um, I don't know when the vote is going to be on this spending thing, but I do know it's a defeat for Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Ocasio-Cortez. They will be defeated. They're not going to get the record spending bill. And talking about Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez, she shows up at the Met Gala in New York City. Now, the Met Gala is to raise money for the Museum of Art in New York City. And there she is, tax the rich, because everybody at this gala is rich. Why? It costs $35,000 to attend the gala, a piece. Okay, so if you are rich, you're not going to the gala. Now, she was invited, Cortez. She didn't pay invited by some designer uh, who made the dress, and then she had printed on it, tax the rich. All right, so then she tweets out, Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez does, the time is now for child care, health care, and climate action for all tax the rich, unquote. So, you know, she's a pure socialist. Some people call her a communist. 
I don't think she knows the difference. She went to Boston U, my alma mater. And um, I don't think the professor's up there know the difference. So anyway, um, that was pretty interesting. And I uh, got a lot of ink, which is what she wanted um, to bring socialism into your living room. Now, also at the Met Gala, but not inside, were Black Lives Matter. Let's hear it for them, ladies and gentlemen. So they were outside and they were screaming about the police being terrible. All right. So um, the demonstration was organized by uh, BLM and they say policing does not protect and serve communities. And they were outside. Nine of them were arrested by the New York City Police Department. All right. So. BLM on the outside, Ocasio-Cortez on the inside. Direction of the United States of America. Two polls. First one from Politico, Democrat 38, Republican 34, Independent 28. Um, about 2,000 registered voters sample. All right. Is the USA heading in the right or wrong direction? Right direction, 37%. Wrong direction, 63%. Then same question from Rasmussen, okay? This is 2,500 likely voters, Democrat 38, Republican 36, other 26. So these two polls at least had a Republican representation. All right, right direction, wrong direction, right direction 34. Remember, Politico was 37, and wrong track 61, Politico was 63. So obviously most Americans uh, think the country is headed under the Biden administration in the wrong direction. I'm Mike Slater from the podcast Politics by Faith. This is a crazy time in our country. It's stressful, a lot of anxiety, and it's going to get worse. And I realized that one of the things that helps me take away the stress is realizing that there's nothing new under the sun. So on this podcast, we take the news of the day and we run it through the Bible and other periods in history to realize that we've been through this before and we can rise above again. Politics by Faith, anywhere you listen to the podcast. Politics by Faith. Hey, this is Vivek Ramaswamy. The media has systematically lied to you. The Hunter Biden laptop story, the origin of COVID-19, the Trump-Russia collusion hoax, or how your money's being spent in Ukraine. Enough already with the lies. No more lies, hard truths only. That's what the Truth Podcast is all about. It's not standard conservative talking points. If you want that, go somewhere else. But if you want the hard truth, delivered to you in a way that challenges you and will challenge me intellectually, you're not going to find anything like this on the internet. Subscribe to The Truth Podcast today on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. So I read a column uh, this week by Doug Schoen. Uh, you may know him. He's a Democratic consultant. Um, and I had him on the factor a bunch of times when I worked at Fox. And he's the up coming book author of America, Unite or Die, How to Save Our Democracy. That'll be out November 2nd. So Mr. Schoen joins us now from New York City. In this column, you say the Democrats are in big trouble, but isn't it too early to handicap the midterms? Couldn't Joe Biden make a comeback? Uh, Bill, it's always theoretically possible he could, of course. But the agenda he's pursuing is not a popular one for the reasons you were discussing. People don't like big spending and big taxing. It happened in 1994 and 2010. 
both times the Republicans took over in the wake of very large tax increases as well. And I see the same thing happening here. And with the right track, wrong track numbers that you read, I think it's much more likely the Democrats lose both houses of Congress than they hold both houses or even hold one of two. My analysis is that Mr. Biden would have to do something heroic to write his image. So right now, his image, and I think this is accurate, is that he is a weak man being run by unnamed people inside the White House who are dedicated progressives. And then Biden is pretty much doing what they are telling him to do. Do you agree with that assessment? That is the perception. Yeah, I do agree with the perception. And I would also tell you I worked, as I think you know, Bill, for six years in the Clinton White House. So I got to know many of those so-called unnamed people. And let's just say uh, there are many things, but I would not call them in their approach to politics heroic. They're practical and they tend to take the path of least resistance, which is going left. And I think what we saw in Afghanistan, sadly and tragically for our country, was the opposite of heroic. Do you know who's running the show in the White House? I asked this question to Stephen Miller yesterday, the Republican. Sure. Uh, sure. Who is, do you know who's running the White House? I, I, I think the most influential and important person in the White House is Ron Klain, the chief of staff, who is a very smart, very able, very talented guy, who is one who follows the uh, path of least resistance, and I assume is the one trying to achieve consensus between the hard left, the far left, and the moderate left. But certainly, Mr. Biden is as liberal as any president ever has been in the history of this republic. So you would have to say that Klain is a progressive if he's really in charge of shaping the message, right? I've known Ron Klain 25 years. Um, I can't sit here today and tell you what his personal worldview is, but I can say this. There is no evidence to me that Ron Klain or any of the other people around Joe Biden are resisting progressivism in any shape, manner, or form. It is how progressive is that agenda, not will it be a far-left uh, socialist agenda. Yeah, it is, but it is a far-left agenda that Mr. Biden has embraced uh, after a career of being a so-called moderate in the Senate. Now, um, yesterday, um, Miller said that Susan Rice, the top domestic advisor and the best friend of the Obamas, also has an enormous amount of power. Do you concur? I absolutely do concur. And I think she is the uh, principal architect and uh, uh, elaborator and strategist for the $3.5 trillion uh, human infrastructure agenda that you spoke about earlier, Bill. Okay. Uh, Barack Obama, do you think he's having input into uh, what Mr. Biden does? I think that the very fact that so many of his appointees are in prominent roles in this government suggests that his influence is either direct or indirect. And at a certain point in time, it doesn't matter which it is. But I think the simple answer to your question has to be yes. 
Okay, now on the COVID front, the mandates are now, if you believe the polls, 50-50. So 50% Mm -hmm. of Americans don't mind being told you have to get vaxxed, and 50% object, some of them vehemently. Is COVID at this point in history, today, Doug, hurting or helping Biden? I think from what we see with the approval numbers, it's probably hurting him marginally more than it's helping him. Now, that's an issue, Bill, to be fair, that will impact the elections based on where we stand a year or so from now, and we have no idea where that'll be. But that being said, there's a lot of anger on the center-right towards the mandates. My sense is that people who vote on the issue are at this point more angry about the mandates than those on the left are supportive of yeah, them. Yeah, they're, they're more mobilized, but it shakes down with independence. That's who's going to really decide the COVID issue. Correct. And I, I know what's going to happen, Doug. So you said nobody knows. I know, um, okay. which is why everybody watches me. So COVID, the case load is going to yep. subside. It has to. Mm-hmm. You got 75% of the American public either full or partially vaxxed in another um, month, month and a half, that's going to be 75% to 80 fully vaxxed. Okay, once you get the fully vaxxed with the people who already have had COVID and have the antibodies, then the nesting period has to subside. And that's what will happen. And of course, Biden will take credit for that. And that will be the theme of next year's political battle. Now, advancing the story, if you're right, and Joe Biden is perceived this time next year, September of 22, as being weak, befuddled, the economy's not doing well, because that could override COVID. The economy starts to deteriorate, which it is now, it's beginning, all right, then that's going to sink them. So let's assume you're right, and the Republicans take back the House and the Senate. What does that do for the United States? I think it puts us in a position where the Democratic Party will be in a position similar to where it was post-94 and plus-2010 with a presidency that is weakened, in Biden's case, potentially uh, irreparably. And I think it puts the United States in a position where we remain polarized, but we have... um, the likely reemergence of Donald Trump as a candidate for the Republican nomination. But Biden himself will not be able to get any of his agenda through Congress, right? None of it. He'll run against Trump, as you saw and uh, reported earlier in uh, your No Spin News. Yeah, I'm not sure about the Donald Trump candidacy. I know he wants to run. He told me he did. And as you know, I'm going out with uh, the former president to do four um, major uh, history shows. And I'll get a a good idea of, you know, Mm -hmm. what his posture is, how he's going to present himself. But there is no question, and we're seeing it in California, that demonizing Donald Trump works in some independent precincts. Now, the Republicans most still like Donald Trump. But it's going to be the independents in this country, as it always is, that really decide the presidency. So 
Biden, you know, I think he's looking forward to having Trump rather than a DeSantis or a Scott in South Carolina where it's, it's harder to demonize them. I think that's absolutely true. And you asked before what happens to the United States. And my answer is if we spend another two or three years fighting the same fights between Biden and Trump or Kamala Harris and Trump, I think we will all lose and it will be bad for our country, bad for our foreign policy. And one issue we haven't mentioned, but deserves, I think, at least brief uh, uh, reference is the southern border. Immigration. Well, Biden, Biden's not going to do anything about the southern border. It's too late. I mean, he'd have yeah, to embarrass himself. Right. And, and the, look, the media, the corporate media isn't covering the story. It had to cover Afghanistan because the pictures were so compelling coming out of there by the foreign news outlets, by the BBC and others. That's why the corporate media in America had to get involved. But they, they're covering up for Biden. Everybody knows they are. And they'll, that will continue. And they're salivating, Doug, at getting Donald Trump back into the arena. I mean, CNN, they're off the chart low ratings now. As soon as Trump gets in, they're going to triple their ratings. So is MSNBC. All the networks will, will basically rally around Biden. And so they're salivating for Trump. Is that a factor? I mean, it's a factor. But if, as you suggest and as I believe, we have a weak economy, problems at the southern border, uh, the possibility of renewed terrorism and uncertainty in our foreign policy with an assertive Russia and China, I think it's much more likely that notwithstanding the potential good news on COVID uh, a year from now, I think it's going to be a massive rebuke to my party based on everything I see and hear. Okay, last question. Sure. Socialism. Now, mm -hmm. the hardcore socialists have gained an enormous amount of power in the last two years. And they're just... You know, you can see how arrogant they are. You can see that Bernie Sanders attacking Manchin. And, and I mean, I think they have peaked, but I could be wrong. What do you think? Inside the Democratic Party, I believe they have a substantial voice. And since we don't have bipartisanship, what the Biden administration is doing is virtually all their time is spent trying to consolidate a fractious party. As far as the electorate is gone, I think there is no real enthusiasm for socialism. And I think inside the Democratic Party, you may well be right, Bill, that if we have a historic defeat in the 2022 midterms and the Democrats take it on the chin, it may well be a recoil, rebound, backlash, whatever word you want, against AOC uh, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, who do not speak for the broad mass of the American people. All right, Doug, thanks very much. We really appreciate it. When your book comes out, we'll have you back. And uh, I really appreciate uh, you taking the time. Thank you. And thank you so much, Bill, as always. So I'm glad to see that Norm MacDonald uh, got a lot of tributes. Now, I've known Norm. Uh, he's a friend of Dennis Miller. Uh, he is a, or was, a really great guy, dying of cancer, 61. No one knew how ill he was. He kept it quiet, and I admired that. He didn't want to bring any pain to his family, 
He didn't want people to see him in a different way. I admire that. So I'm going to run a clip on Saturday Night Live from Norm, then I'm going to tell you a story. Go. Mr. Reynolds, what are you doing? (laughs) Yeah, I found this backstage, uh, oversized hat. It's funny. No, it's not. Sure it is. It's funny. It's funny because it's uh, bigger than a a normal hat. I I see that. Get back to your podium. (laughs) Take a look at that. Yeah, I see it. Go back to your podium. It's not funny. (laughs) What's going on? No, it was great. So I saw him uh, at the Paramount Theater in uh, Huntington, Long Island, uh, and I brought my son, who's a teenager, and Norm was so nice to my son, I could not even believe it. In fact, he put him on his podcast. So Norm put my son on his podcast. They had a blast. He didn't have to do that. I didn't ask him to do it. I mean, this is the kind of guy that Norm MacDonald was. I mean, it's just, when I heard that yesterday, I just went, oh, one of the really, really good guys, 61. Oh. So anyway, I'm offering masses Sunday for Norm MacDonald. And um, got to miss him. We'll see you tomorrow.